We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers have a big weekend coming up, and we'll probably get more to the specifics of it in the second half of the pod. But we've been wanting to get into some uh, lineup numbers for a bit, and we're going to do that at the very least for the first half of the pod today. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the tool that I've been using for this. Last couple of years, I've kind of drifted away from net rating uh, in information in large part because I think there's a lot of noise in it, Um, but there's a great tool over at pbpstats.com called the Wowie Combinations that is uh, goes back to NBA Wowie, which was a really good on-off site um, that I think maybe got absorbed into PBP. Anyway, what it allows you to do is to kind of filter for who is on the court and who is not and see all of the different combinations of that. And in a lot of ways, Darius, that is the fundamental challenge that Darvin Ham has been facing since the beginning of training camp. I got this group where I got a couple of guys that I know what they are within the lineup and then a bunch of other guys where it's like, are they starters? Are they bench players? Are they rotation guys at all? And I and finding those combinations that work, I think, has been one of the stories of the first part of the season. There are also a lot of lineups that have not worked. So we've all been kind of diving into this over the last uh the last day I sent you guys a sheet of a bunch of different, you know, lineup combos. You guys have done your own research. Where's the first place you go, Darius, in terms of when you look at this lineup data? Well, just in general, like a quick thing about lineup data in general, like we're still at the stage of the season where you think you know stuff and like we do have good information, mm-hmm. but the Lakers are one of those interesting teams that doesn't have huge samples across five man data because they don't have a lot of groups that have played together enough, right? And so we lamented this um, for a couple consecutive pods, but the idea that the Lakers most frequently use lineups is still under 50 minutes on the season. That makes it very hard for us to, like, say, this is a five-man group that works, right? Because, like, okay, well, we've got 40 minutes of sample Mike, like, what do you learn over 40 minutes? That's not even a game's worth of data. And it's spread out over 
a dozen games. And so maybe you get a look of like seven, seven minutes in one game, four minutes in another game. Oh, this group played two minutes this game. And so what if they had a 6-0 run in two minutes, Pete? Like, does that make them world beaters? Their net rating is going to be off the charts. That's right. right. But you can't extrapolate a two minute stretch over like a hundred or 150 minutes or a thousand minute sample, which is what you want by the end of the season. A hundred percent. And that's why uh, I've been really looking at two and three man type samples, sometimes four. And usually the fourth is like with that fourth player off the floor, uh, because that's when you can start getting into the we've got hundreds of minutes of data or you know 150 minutes on this trio type of thing. And I think that one of the reasons I like this tool on uh, PBP stats is that you can get broader answers when you look at all of it, right? Like maybe that one lineup or that one grouping only has 50 some odd minutes, but it's like, oh, this, when you got bigs on the floor with this grouping, like, oh, TB and Wenyan are at the top of this. And then these guys are at the bottom of it. You can, I think you can kind of pick up on the skill sets that work with certain players and the skill sets that don't when you see it amongst multiple groupings. Yeah. Which is where I was going to go with this conversation in general. Right. And, and so Mike, the idea of learning more, I think it's important for a coach like Darvin Ham, who is not only a first-time head coach, but is a coach with a brand new team, right? And so you could be a first-time head coach and you can be Phil Jackson and you're a first-time head coach. And guess what? You were on the coaching staff for the team that you took over. Frank, this happened to Frank Vogel, his first job in Indiana. He was an assistant coach on Indiana's roster. Then he takes over the Pacers roster. Guess what? He has institutional knowledge going into that job that he knows what Paul George, he knows what the Paul George and David West and Roy Hibbert group looks like. He knows how to use George, George Hill. You can hit the ground running with that because you have an established group of players that you are also familiar with. The Lakers come into this on the total opposite end of the spectrum. They brought back four or five different guys. A couple of them were barely rotation players, like when you talk about a guy like like Wenyan Gabriel, for example, last well, well, last season. So there's so much to learn. And finding out the trends within the lineups and the skill sets that you project to work, do they actually work? You only get that from watching tape, and then what do the numbers actually tell you from a result stand will, will standpoint? So, Mike, I kick it to you just without answering Pete's question at all about what stood out to me. And I'm sure. pivoting and, 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 and I am kicking that question to you instead. Like, has there been stuff that has stood out to you from from that regard when you take into account all of the context? And I'm also curious, Mike, kind of your general philosophy when you look up these numbers as well. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast. Like you guys both asked about 13 different questions and I do the same thing to you. We just sort <laughs> yes. of put a bunch of stuff on the table, you know, pick what you the like. other one. Like here's the buffet. What do you want to get? Yep. And then we try to pull stuff out. I want to first zoom out because Pete said something. I don't know if it was last pod or a couple of pods ago. Maybe it was the one that I wasn't on about how like I'm a big net rating guy. And I was kind of like, well, not not really. Okay, oh, so okay. let's 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 break this down. Um the coaches and especially the coaches, but then some of the people in the front office, they watch every minute of every game, right? Uh live, they're watching the game, then they go back and they watch the tape. And so for those guys, usually they just sort of know 
you know, based on the eye test and being in the locker room, they just sort of know like which guys are going to be good together, like for the most part. Then there, but now that the the information has become more palatable and better, and there's been some tools, as Pete just mentioned, some, but certain front offices have used tools for a number of years. Others have just recently begun using them more. And net rating is to me just sort of one of the easiest ones to explain mm-hmm. um, to people and to fans. And it's one of the ones that it's, you can't really hide from your net rating over the course of time. Like there are factors for it, but ultimately if you're on the court and the team is not good when you're on the court over time, it says something. Then that's when the coaches and the people that really watch things closely can explain it. So for me, it's always a both. Like I, I have to watch mm-hmm. the games and then I get the numbers. And then, so I can have takeaways and I, I wrote down eight of them from one of the ones that, um, that Pete sent. And to me, those are things that I knew by watching, right? But then, okay, here's then we can kind of discuss why. And there, what I, the thing that I get curious about is what are maybe a couple of things that you guys learned or saw that aren't what we would have expected. Like, yeah, they're too small in spots. Yeah, they could like AD um, is actually great with everybody except for Kendrick Nunn, who specifically has just struggled um, on his own in a lot of parts. So there. Are, I just think that it's a tool that right now, with all of the limited sample size, it doesn't necessarily tell us a ton other than what some of the obvious things are. Um, But it's not useless, especially because most people don't watch every single minute um, of every single game and then can break it down subsequently. So uh, let me then, now that I've done my little preamble, Pete, let me throw it back to you. And and maybe, I don't know if you learned anything from the way that I look at it from that, but that's, that's sort of the way that I approach it. Like, I think it's good. Because uh, it's an easy sell, but it always has to be contextualized, and and that's what I try to do. If I do like a net rating hit during the broadcast, mm-hmm. I'll try to add, okay, well he's plus this, you know, but here's why, like this player's been out, this player's uh, this player's playing well, whatever. Hundred percent, and I don't want to ask act like we're using some, you know, incredibly sophisticated tools, you know, and that you know the analytics department, for example, will have measures of gravity and all of this high level stuff. This is not that. This is just more of a high level, like what's working and what's not. But in the context of this season, like Darius said, where we don't have that institutional knowledge to a great degree, I think we are st- still getting a lot of answers. And to Darwin's credit, he's made some changes off of that. So let's just start with the uh, the big the. The way that I broke down the um, the net ratings was by who leads the unit. So we basically have four different units. We have a our starting group. We have a Russ and AD group. We have a LeBron group. And then we have a Russ, a Russ group and a closing group. So I guess that's five units. And so getting into some of that data, guys, the first thing that stood out to me, Darius, is that it's difficult to find LeBron groups that are good. And that's the first time I think this far into a season that we've struggled to find our footing on LeBron groups. So talk to me on that front, D. Like, what have you seen from the LeBron lineups and, and why? How do you contextualize it? So I contextualize the LeBron data as sort of um, – I would take a step back. Sorry, let, let me re- – real quick, let, let me – because we've given so much preamble. Let me give some of the LeBron data up front, right? So overall on the year, he's played 602 minutes and we're a minus three and a half, 3.5 rating in those minutes. When it's LeBron and AD, we're minus 0.5. If it's LeBron and AD and no Russ, minus 0.7, right? So AD is kind of bolstering things. But LeBron without Anthony Davis, 
on the floor is a minus 8.5 over 226 minutes. So you're getting beat pretty badly when Anthony Davis isn't on the floor. And that's one of the things that's, I think, really shown itself in the numbers as well, is that AD covers up a lot. And if you watch the games, it's like, no dub. But this is the first time, D, that I, that LeBron groups, without Anthony Davis, are, are really struggling. I think that's been one of the, the stories of the first parts of the season. It has been. And what I was going to say about some of this data is... And this is some of it comes down to confirmation bias, too. But it's just like, is it too early to tell? Is it, ah, this confirms things I was thinking and sort of makes sense and you expect it to stay this way? Or on the flip side of too early to tell, yes, I believe. And and so that's and the ah, like, I believe it, that is mostly like small sample stuff, but it's just like, like I'm almost, and this is where the bias comes in. Like I already have a preconceived notion about something that I already believe strongly. The data is telling me this. And now I'm just like, yep. Thanks. Thanks for confirming the thing I already believe. Sure. And so when it comes to LeBron stuff, one of the things Mike, that was, we talked about it some on the pod, but I think it was mostly unsaid is that he was not playing well to start the season. Like he just, he would get numbers, but his numbers, I don't want to call them empty, but they lacked the LeBron impact that carries numbers and produces numbers that show up in net rating stats. Right. And so there's box score stats. And then there's like, oh, but what were you at the end of the game? And LeBron would have plenty of 25, 7, and 8 games, Pete. And then you look at the box score and that big plus minus at the end of the box score says he was a minus 12. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, okay, so you you contributed all of this production, but it didn't lead to anything to you like winning. Your groups didn't win when they were on the court. And that's what I'm taking from some of these early season LeBron numbers is that I think he needs more support and very specific types of support in lineups in order for them to win. Whereas when he was 25, guess what? He didn't. And But that's what happens when you're 38, Mike. And I mm-hmm. think this is a point that you've been speaking to, Mike, over the course of the season, dating back to the offseason. It's like, what's fair to expect of LeBron? And how do you support that? And so that's sort of my early takeaway when it comes to LeBron. But maybe you see it differently, Mike. No, I, I do think it's a natural continuation of all these LeBron conversations, especially in contrast to AD, who is so. Even if you take the last the last ten games, so LeBron has played seven of them. Um, AD has played eight. AD's a plus twelve point seven. LeBron is a plus two point seven. And you know, AD is things are running through AD now, though things are like the it's built more through AD, and as well it should be. And while I expect LeBron, I expect that number to go up for LeBron, uh, partly because Darius just laid out in the three things today, like his shooting, his come around to form. And Darius, what is he like forty something for forty four percent or something? Yeah, he's like forty four, almost forty five percent on threes over the last seven games. Last seven games, he's also eighty percent from the line, and so those are big trends upward in terms of his shooting ability over the last seven games, basically since he returned from his strain growing. And so that's the way you want to see it trending. He was historically bad for him in those first 10 games, particularly from beyond the arc. He was like 21% from three on like seven attempts a game, Mike. 
and I'm almost this is I'm almost wanting to at least to some degree to throw out the numbers from the first couple games because they were mm-hmm. just so ridiculous, like the shooting numbers, the rotations, the all of the stuff they were trying to figure out at the time. It doesn't tell us a ton, but that's why these last seven games are interesting where, you know, LeBron's and from a net rating standpoint, it does kind of add up a little bit to the eye test of just they like he's yet to get into it. And, and by the way, in part because of injuries and absences, he's yet to get in the kind of rhythm that AD got into, which he still can later in the season. But the ex- that's where my expectation of what he can do in year 20 and how consistent he can bring that level. I, I've been trying to preach has to be has to be lowered at least a little bit uh, and calculated in. And so are the numbers so far showing that? Yeah. Do I think that can get better for LeBron? Yes, but it, it like l- let's let me get Pete's takeaway though um, from that. No, I think you're spot on with that. There are only two players that have a positive net rating with LeBron on the floor this year, and it's Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant. And I don't think it's any coincidence that they're the guys that missed that the most disastrous portion of the season, right? And so yeah. I I am in a similar boat with you, Mike, about that. Like you can toss some of those numbers out at the beginning of the year. Uh, but I do think that there are some things that are worth pulling the thread on in that, like one of the conclusions that it was reported Darvin Ham and his staff came to with putting Russ off the bench is that they needed to stagger Russ and LeBron as much as possible. And when you look at their data together, right? Like, so the LeBron and Russ groups without AD are a minus 14.3, but only in 91 minutes, right? So that tells me they've been really bad. And a game in a in a small sample, which also tells me that Darvin is trying his best to minimize their minutes together, and especially without Anthony Davis on the floor. Just a, a quick note on like, so why are they bad? Well, so the one other thing that LeBron either can't or shouldn't be expected to do this year is to be as good of a transition defense player um, as a guy that's in there just as a role player. It's like that's mm-hmm. one thing. Same thing with Russ, who's never done that great. I know is trying to do a little better. So you, if they don't score, then the other team is going down and scoring. Um, in the half court, especially when LeBron wasn't shooting the ball well to start the, to start the year, we know that Russ, even though he's actually shooting the ball better than you might think he is from three, it's still not. He's still not a good three point shooter. And so, what is the other one doing when the other one has the ball? Right. So it's just not like that's the part of the whether it's the net rating or not. Like we know from what their basketball skill sets are at this stage that they're not very complimentary and that's going to be reflected in the lineups unless you like, unless you perfectly fit somehow exactly. the other three guys. Right. And, and you can't be, this is a, a constant one with us. Like you can't constantly be optimized. You know, yeah, you uh, can't be perfect all the time for sure. That said, as so long as he's on the team, Russell Westbrook and LeBron James are going to have to play together. And I think that those numbers reflect uh, a couple of things and some of their bad habits, like, the transition defense, also their pick six guys when they start to cut corners D in that a couple times where we've been up 25, it has been LeBron and Russ on the floor without AD. The Washington game really comes to mind. And it's like, not only are you not running back in transition, it's actually you're throwing a bad pass that gets deflected and it's a breakaway on the other end. So it's like a certainty the other team's going to score on top of that. So a lot of a lot goes into that, but I thought it was interesting that Darvin or or that there was that perception, at least that that the coaching staff wanted to separate their minutes as much as possible. And they have gone out of their way and the results have shown why they want to go out of their way to do that. No, it makes sense, too, from the standpoint of at when the noise about Russ starting to come off the bench, which is a weird way of saying it. When the when Darwin decided, and I think he decided this in the preseason, actually, that he wanted 
to bring Russ off of the bench. And remember, he brought him off in that last preseason game against the Kings, which likely would have been a springboard into the regular season, right? But then Dennis hurt his hand. And then it was like, oh, some of these lineups are in limbo again. And so let's go back to the thing we'd actually done during the preseason, which is start Russell Westbrook. But the reason why it makes sense is because they were really the only two primary ball handler types that existed on the team, right? And so at some point you have to decide, well, is it best to start both of these guys and then have to bring one of them out early or start with only one of them on the court? And then maybe after three, four, five minutes, then bring the second one in. And Darwin was already considering bringing Russ off the bench. And so it was all just a natural continuation, I think, of a thought process he he had in his mind. Let's go to break here, though, because I want to continue some of this LeBron talk, but then I want to pivot into the role player stuff, because I think that stuff is where the real meat on the bone is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. D, before we get to the role guys, I, I wanted to look into Anthony Davis real quick because he's kind of the opposite picture just from a numbers standpoint of LeBron. With LeBron on the floor, we only have uh, three players actually that have a positive net rating. It's JTA in only 40 minutes, Dennis in 160, 161 uh, plus 4.4, and Thomas Bryant plus 2.9 in 53 minutes. So not a ton of minutes on those. But on Anthony Davis's side of things, overall, we're plus 1.4 in 700 minutes when Anthony Davis is on the floor. So he was in a lot of those, that 2 and 10 start. He was playing a lot of minutes during that. And so the fact that he's a positive overall um, really indicates, I think, the surge that that the team has had when he's been on the floor, floor in his individual surge. Again, as the mirror image of LeBron in these numbers, there were only three players that have a negative net rating with Anthony Davis on the floor. One of them is LeBron James, a minus 0.5 in 376 minutes. Then Kendrick Nunn as a minus 14.6 in 109 minutes. And then JTA, a minus 16.9 in 57 minutes. And it's funny, when you look through these, Nunn and Damian Jones in particular have some really bad net ratings in a lot of the groups, in part because they played only during that that uh, first part, none's gotten some run, but that's part of what we figured out is that those guys don't fit as well as some of the other role players. But when I look at these AD numbers, the 
first thing that stands out to me is in a very small sample, right? 60 combined minutes between TB and Gabriel, only 13 for TB and 47 for Wenyan. Along uh, alongside Anthony Davis, TB is a plus thirty five point four, and Wenyan Wenyan is a twenty four point two, and then also the, and then the one with the biggest sample, Austin Reeves plus seven point two in four hundred and seventeen minutes with Anthony Davis, and so that's maybe a place that we can transition to the role players uh, is that I love that fit with Austin and Anthony Davis, and they've been very complementary with each other. So go wherever you want to go with that. Uh, like you said, we uh, lay out the buffet, Mike, uh, with a, a bunch of things, but Anthony Davis is, uh, you know, carried a lot of groups. Right. And I think the one that caught my eye, because obviously AB's going to have the best, you know, he's going to look the best in all of these numbers that when he had one big next to him, uh, whether it was Wenyan or, or Thomas, and they haven't done it much, but it's worked really well. And it's mm-hmm. like, both things are true. So AD at the center spot has been totally dominant and teams have had no answer for him. But then also, I think in part, this it's not just about those bigs and like Gabriel and Bryant and them being good and being active and rebounding and running the floor. But it's about they have just made the whole team bigger and not have three guards yep. on the floor. And so it's like in one sense, I'm praising Bryant and Gabriel and another, it's almost looking at the roster and thinking, well, if you had another bigger wing that had some of those minutes and then that would work too, because then you wouldn't have to have essentially either Westbrook and shooter together or all of those combos Reeves certain times out there with shooter and Russ or none in there with Beverly. And it's hard to find a good group that includes three guards. At least, at least in my uh, in my looking through it, I'm sure that you have a, a counterexample or two, Pete. And most of them probably do include Reeves, like when AD's on the floor, like those types of things. But so I'm I'm now trying to think. All right, well, what do the Lakers extrapolate from this? And if the coaches can take anything out of this data, and it's like play Bryant and Gabriel more, and play one of the guards less. And to me, that's like my <laughs> grand takeaway from all yep. of this stuff. Amen. And it's been the same stuff that we've been basically watching all year when it's like, yep, that's too small. That guy's getting shot over. Yep. That, that guy can't rotate to the baseline. He's get, he's getting into a mismatched area. So uh, I, I don't know if I've extrapolated in the, in the proper direction here, but that's, that's kind of what I took from it. No, Mike. And so at its baseline level, Wenyon and TB. So we've talked about them right now within the context of playing next to Anthony Davis, but that same idea holds true when they're both on the court together, right? And so we haven't talked about this part yet, but they've played well, 50 minutes. too. With yes, Russ but, like that group has been good, yeah. Y- yes, and so, but I'm only filtering now just for TB and Wenyon. So it doesn't matter who the, who the other guys are on the court, whether it's Russ, which it typically has been, but it could even be Dennis in some of these units as well. But they've played 50 minutes together. Their net rating is plus 8.4. This is Wenning and TB? Yes, when Wenning and TB share the court. And so that idea that Mm -hmm. you were talking about, Mike, just in terms of being bigger and like, okay, well, this allows you to have more size on the court. And one of the things that Darwin has done is when instead of playing that second bigger player, right, in the non-LeBron groups, he has said, okay, well, I can either go Wenyon Gabriel or Thomas Bryant, or I could play Russell Westbrook there, or I could play 
earlier in the season when he was looking for shooting, it was Matt Ryan. And there were times where it was JTA, but it was, it's almost, he skewed going smaller with, and not playing either the second center in TB or Wenyon. I think he's, he skewed towards the guards or towards the wing, quote unquote wing. I'm, I'm using that term loosely way more often, Pete, than he has going with the second big. And I think even the Wenyon and TB minutes together speak to that point, right? It's like, oh no, this other thing works as well. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it, and I want to kick kick this to you, Pete, it's to me, it's the type of bigs that they are as well. It's like the, oh, 100%. the identity of this team is to play faster. It's to be athletic and it's to like be an open court transition team and a team that can hold its own defensively, right? And both TB and Wenyon, while TB's not a defensive player, like high level, he's he's had his moments, but mostly as a help side defender shot blocker, not a no roller behind shot blocker, which is a different style of play. But they change ends so well and they play so hard that they contribute to that identity of fast just as much as some of the guards, if not more than some of the guards, right? Like they are, who do you want, who wins a foot race between Thomas Bryant and Patrick Beverly? Patrick Beverly's a small guard. Typically you think those guys are fast. Who mm-hmm. wins? Oh, Thomas TB's going to get down the court. That's right. Wenyon's beating pretty much everyone in a foot race on this team, except for maybe like LeBron, right? And Dennis mm-hmm. Schroeder, like Lonnie Walker, like the real athlete athletes, right? Wenyon mm-hmm. is one of those dudes. And so that's another sort of takeaway within the context of all of this to me. And one of the things that has happened over the course of this season is that Darvin has given Russ his own unit. And those guys have really thrived in that Russ unit. When you put Russ on the court with Wenyon and TB, it's only 28 minutes. Uh, they've got a plus 25.7 net rating. And so that's that's a group that has thrived whenever they've been on the court. And it speaks to that point, right? If they're going to be running the court, having the guy that's going to push the pace in the first place. Like, that's one of the dissonances that we haven't talked about a ton with Russ with LeBron and AD is that like Russ plays at a different pace than they do. They're more half court players. Like they can't, they are dominant transition players. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of the amount of the, how often that they run, it's not necessarily the central identity of LeBron and AD's game. I think, especially at this point, they're more half court players, AD at the five, right? That's something that they do more than transition where they're great. Whereas with Russ in those units where like where both LeBron and AD have been off of the court. The last couple of games where they've missed uh, they've missed time have done a number on the numbers. But up until the last game in Toronto, this was basically a break-even group, Mike. The Russ-led groups without LeBron or AD on the floor. And so that's something that even if you could just kind of tread water without LeBron and AD on the floor, that certainly has a lot of uh, helpfulness to it. And having groups where it's like, hey, you got bigs that run the floor and a guard that pushes the ball and a skill guard, all of a sudden, hey, we got a pretty decent bench group. And so that's one of the things that stands out to me in the context of that having enough size on the floor is that their size that runs with Russ. And I want I wanted to just take a quick moment to th- think about why you know, some players are, like you mentioned LeBron and AD, right, that aren't that's not their number one thing and so just getting up and down and playing at that pace. And I think it, it's because they have so much responsibility defensively 
um, mm-hmm. and particularly throughout their careers. LeBron a little bit less so now, but there are very few star, like the top stars, the top 10 players, the top 15 players that want to run up and down the whole game because they not only do they have to do a bunch on defense, but then when they get in the half court, often late in possessions, they're the ones that have to manufacture a shot. Yep. And then whether that goes in or not, then you got to sprint back. Like almost no players and this. This includes like Jordan and Kobe. They were probably the best at it because of that just insane competitive fire and athleticism that they had in in LeBron in his prime, like guys that are in their prime Tatum right now, Giannis, Mm -hmm. right. But that, that is very difficult to do. And I think that the pace that Russ likes to play with, that's always been what he's done, but he has not been the same level of defensive player or that's mm-hmm. been asked to do the same on defense. And he can get by some with his athleticism and, and sure he rebounds. And, and, and this also credits him for being a phenomenal athlete who sometimes can do that as well. But I, I just think that it's unrealistic for anybody to think, why isn't LeBron or Anthony Davis sprinting up and down? Why don't they want to do that every time? It would be so much better if AD just sprinted up the floor again, <laughs> you know? And I think that we, we sometimes need to just contextualize why, some of these best players aren't going to really be able to do that for the full regular season. Mike, you remember the scene in uh, Airplane where Kareem is one of the pilots, right? And the kid is asking all the questions and my dad says you don't play hard on defense, right? And then eventually Kareem, right? Eventually Kareem, who's Roger Murdoch is the character. He's like, listen, kid, you know, grabs him by the collar. You tried dragging Lanier up and down the court, right? Like that. that's a one of the longtime NBA stories, right? Is that like the idea that superstars should also be the full motor of your team. But I also do think there's value in having a motor group. And so we're not all the way there yet, but the, sure. the Russ groups, like if they're able to tread water. I think that can buy time for LeBron and AD groups. That said, Darius, a lot of the LeBron and AD groups haven't been very good starting with the starting lineup. Yeah, which is what I wanted to ask you both about because the LeBron and AD groups, those groups start each half, right? It's so kind of important. They close them too. (laughs) Yes. So it's like, we're making jokes a little bit, but we've been saying this a fair amount over the course of the season is that it's important that the Lakers try to find, I think they have a closing group personally, like Russ is going to close hmm. like one of their best lineups. And I haven't even looked up the data, but on paper, this feels like one of their better lineups. It's, it's Russ, Lonnie, Austin, Austin. Yeah. Right. LeBron and AD. That's a group with a ton of balance. They've got shooting. They've got defense. They've got motor. Like they can play in transition. They can even play in the half court. And Russ has been finding ways to be effective in that group, even in the half court. He plays in the dunker spot. He pass. He runs pick and roll with LeBron and AD. Like he's finding his way. But the starting groups have been rough, and Darwin has been changing them. The Lakers again lead the league in starting lineups played. And that's not all because LeBron and AD have missed a few games, right? LeBron was out a little bit sickness. Oh, ankle, whatever. Right. And AD missed. Oh, sore back. He's got the flu. Right. But he's, he's changed things up fairly often looking for a five that can play. And most recently he took Troy Brown out of the star starting lineup in favor of Patrick Beverly. And so I'm just kicking it to you guys based off of the numbers that you've looked at and just the eye test 
from over the course of the season. Do you have a preference for the starting lineup? And where do you, I don't want to say what the weak link is, but where do you think the change needs to come from in order for that first five to be as good as they need to be? It's hard to stay true to the start of this pod in extrapolating the numbers of what the net ratings groups are because this the sample size has just been too small for this. But my inkling has just been, and I think, what we text about sometimes early in games is that I'm not sure that the Schroeder and Beverly at the one in the three works, uh, whether that three is Troy Brown or this is where you get into the trouble, right? Of what the wings are and what the roster is. But that's the part where I think they, they do like this kind of the, who Beverly is in terms of character in a starting group. But I would almost pick, even if I had to go like, Troy Brown is in there regardless and then pick between Schroeder and Beverly. And I think in this case, I would probably go Schroeder, uh, who is starting to get into a better rhythm, including with his shot and all that. And and that, I think, would be the, the way I would go uh, with it. But, you know, like these coaches are smart and they have reasons for doing what they're doing. And so it's easy to say that. But I'm just I don't know if it's sustainable to have Beverly being like your your wing for the whole season, especially when his shot is not in rhythm um, as it's been. And the threat of shooting, therefore, is not there um at least for what defenses are wanting to allow and i think that it is even even for a troy brown more so than it is for beverly in that spot mike just to back that up with some numbers really quickly it's only been 25 minutes but ad lebron dennis lonnie right and then replace beverly with with troy brown that group is a plus 10 net rating so it speaks to your point about that being a potential solution also, that closing lineup you were talking about, that Russ, Lonnie, Austin, LeBron AD, plus 9.5 net rating. And they've played in the most games. They've played in 11 games, 41 minutes, that group. So, yeah, I think that, you know, when I say that the worst of this team is when we're both too small and can't shoot, nobody personifies that better than Patrick Beverly at the three, shooting 22% from the three-point line, right? And so with Dennis, to me, it's a very easy pick. I agree with you, Mike, that it's like either Dennis or Bev. I've actually really liked Dennis, and the numbers do too. If you look at LeBron and AD groups without Russ on the floor, Dennis is a plus 15.3 in 79 minutes. The overall of that in 204 is the minus uh, minus 0.7. What's interesting is the guy with the worst numbers with LeBron and AD D and Russ on the floor is actually Lonnie Walker with a minus 7.3 over 159. Now, again, I think that you get some benefit Dennis does from not playing in those first games, but Austin's a plus five in 85 minutes there. And so to me, like, I don't know if our starting three is like long-term is on the team right now. At least that's my hope. Uh, I'd love for us to trade for, for three. Um, But in their stead, like to me, that, Troy Brown instead of Bev with the starters, both the eye test and the numbers really match that conclusion. Pete, you said that. So you were saying that when Dennis is on the court and Lonnie is in the game. I'm sorry, I missed that. Can you repeat that stat? Just because I want to make sure that I'm hearing that correctly. The the 15.3 one is when LeBron and AD are on the floor, but Russ is not. Dennis is a 15.3 in 79 minutes. Uh, whereas Lonnie is actually the worst. He's a minus 7.3 in 159 minutes. Got you. So one of the things I was just looking at is trying to figure, is I was swapping different players into that fifth starting spot, right? And so I mentioned what it looks like with Troy Brown in for Patrick Beverly. Well, Austin Reeves in for Patrick Beverly. That number is even smaller in terms of a sample size. That group has only played 12 minutes. They're a net 
plus 60 rated, mm-hmm. right? It's so it's like that's what I'm saying about the samples being too small. It's just like, yeah, that team's going to win by 60 every hundred possessions. Right. No, like they're <laughs> actually not. I like I hate right. to break it to you, but that means that over the course of a couple of games, they probably had two or three like 6-0 runs, and then boom, there you go. But what I will say is that the current starting lineup of LeBron, AD, Dennis, Lonnie, and Patrick Beverly, they've only played 17 minutes, right? But they're a minus 10.2 net rating, and their offensive rating is 92. A lot of Bev lineups like that. Real quick interjection on one of the reasons why the lineup data is so small, too, for the starters is because put Russ in after three minutes. So the start, like, there's usually the, the reason that the starting lineups get the most sample size is because coaches play them for at least, like, the first six minutes of the first quarter and the third quarter, and then often at least close part of the time with them. And that's that to me is another reason why there's so much variance in all these lineups. Great point. Yeah, and so these are all, this is all going to make the Lakers very unique in terms of some of their lineup data stuff. And I hope that we can revisit this again in another month or six weeks where we have a bigger sample, hopefully with a lot more minutes (laughs) and, and we'll see what these groups look like. But, but Pete, I do think some of the stuff we're seeing from the numbers matches what we're seeing on the court. And Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal is to find the most balanced groups who can score well enough to keep you in games and defend well enough to hold the other team down. And We've got some hints at what some of those groups look like, but not mm. enough yet. So, Pete, I'm going to ask you, summarize, like, what are what are our, like, two or three takeaways here um, from this combo, from looking at all the data that, you know, that, that we think might be practically inputted? So, I think the idea of building around AD is, I, I know it sounds simple and no dub, but it, he's really the guy that's lifting a lot of boats, and so there's that. I think that LeBron had an unusually bad start to the season. Now we can determine that's because he's in year 20 and he's not going to be as good or because I think a big part of it is mental. I think that the team needed to show him that it was worth a damn. I don't think I, I again, I don't want to project this onto LeBron, but if I were LeBron in year 20, I don't the idea of like, you've got to be a superstar to carry us to an eighth seed. Uh, and just do the superhuman stuff for the the right to lose in the first round of the playoffs. I, I don't think he was super into that idea, but the team kicking some ass when he went down and Anthony Davis being like, I think LeBron seeing AD like that, I think LeBron's very much like, oh, I can win with a guy like that. And I think the numbers that you wrote in your game pre- preview, D, kind of speak to that idea, right? That uh, he's coming around and, and rounding into shape. I would love for LeBron not to step on someone's ankle for like a 10-game stretch. Poor guy, like every other game has some minor incident, usually doesn't even knock him out of the game, but he's like rolling an ankle on on the sideline or under the basket or something like that. And I think that, that those have been rhythm breakers for him as well. So I'd love for him to catch a little bit of luck on that front as well. So we've gone a little bit long so we're gonna uh gonna wrap up here big weekend coming up i actually thought we'd get to the the philly game i think this is one of the biggest games of the season and so i'm very excited to talk about that uh in the aftermath lakers will be wrapping up their road trip this weekend with a game tonight against philly and then a game in detroit on sunday we'll be back on monday to talk about how it went but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. 
tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Brian, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Brian. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.